0: For more than 20 years, Adriana has set the standard in Victoria for delicious Mexican food. They are the only large-scale manufacturer of corn tortillas and chips on Vancouver Island. Adriana's The Whole Enchilada has daily specials. Enchilada de Forciada, Tuni Tacos, Bandito Burger, Taquito Feliz, and more. Did we pick up your curiosity for more Mexican meals? Pick up and take out. For more information, check Adriana's TheWholeEnchilada.com or come to 2140B Keating Crossroad in the Keating Plaza.
1: We are on Indigenous land. That means that everything we have today, everything we've built, is a result of the attempted genocide, ongoing land theft, and displacement of Indigenous peoples. As Indigenous resurgence gains traction and we work towards decolonizing our society... We question how settlers can honor and acknowledge their status as guests on this land. What are we doing to educate newcomers about our history and about the ongoing processes of colonialism? And where do refugees and immigrants exist on the continuum of colonialism? You're listening to Full Circle on CFUV 101.9 FM, a program about the communities on the unceded territories of the Lekwungen and Sanchothan speaking peoples, also known as Victoria, BC. First, we turn to the Victoria Native Friendship Centre to help us shape our question and give insight into what it means to understand Canada's history.
2: I think the first thing that people can do is just try and learn an accurate history of Canada.
1: This is Tanya Claremont.
2: I'm the Director of Human Resources and Management Supports at the Victoria Native Friendship Centre.
1: She's been at the Victoria Centre for a year, but has been working with friendship centres for 17 years.
2: Do you want me to introduce myself, like traditionally, in my oh, community? That would be awesome. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I am Temi Agama Uh, from the Tomogamy First Nation in Northern Ontario through my father's side. And on my mother's side, I'm French-Canadian from the Ottawa Valley. So I've been a visitor out here in the Kwangan Territories for almost 14 years now.
1: She wants people to understand that colonial history is different across the country.
2: Especially as we go east and colonization has existed for hundreds of years longer than here in BC. So I think people going on their own individual learning journeys is the first step so that you can have an informed opinion.
1: For her, it's not only the education around our history that is lacking.
2: Yeah, I actually did a mock test online. They have those little quizzes online. And so I did the Canadian citizen mock test. And not only did it not reflect Indigenous content or speak to colonization, it really didn't speak a lot to Parliament structure, Mm -hmm. provincial versus federal, municipal life... A lot of fundamental things that help people function appropriately in a society. And and so the fact that it's so Eurocentric, history-based, colonized storyline is interesting to me you know if you don't understand how the government system works how the you know the tiers of government interact who's responsible for what pieces of your life health education etc how can you engage as an informed citizen of Canada
1: tasha thinks this education is important not only to expose the true history of Canada but to promote more engaged and informed citizens
2: just fundamentally that we would give them tools to function as As active citizens in Canada, and that that would actually spread beyond refugees and new immigrants. Because I think a lot of Canadians don't know how to be an active citizen in Canada, including our Indigenous community. And if we want to decolonize this country, we need to get involved in the system that exists now. And we need to become active in that system and understand it. You can't change something you don't understand. So I think in general, there's just a lack of education to the average citizen of how to influence the system whether that's purposeful or not, I don't know, but it certainly is not reflected in the learnings that new Canadians are receiving that I, that I have experienced anyways.
0: Yeah, I didn't know anything. I, well, I didn't really know anything about Canada. I just knew it was on top of America. <laughs> that's about all I knew. Um, so yeah, it, I honestly didn't really know anything about First People when I came here.
1: One of our volunteers on Full Circle is also an immigrant to Canada, so she understands the impact of the education around Canada's history.
0: My name is Yukari Peerless, and uh, I'm from Japan. I came to Victoria about 20 years ago. I was married to a Canadian. I met him in Japan when he was teaching English, and we got married in Japan, but we moved here about 20 years ago. Uh, with our son first born, and we thought, you know, Victoria is probably a good, better place to raise children.
1: When she lived in Japan, the impression of Canada that Yukari had was that it was really welcoming and multicultural.
0: They welcome immigrants, and it's all like a paradise, you know. Uh, uh, this is a sort of common thing we hear in japan. It's like say let's say America is a melting pot, and if you move to America, you kind of have to assimilate and you have to become American. But I remember hearing uh, in Canada that's not the case like you can embrace your uh heritage.
1: maybe I spoke a little bit to the how, but Yukari interviewed me as well that's about that's my experience being a settler and a woman of color. My name is Kemi Craig. I think what I would add to what I'm learning about Indigenous peoples now is really learning about the incredible value and how critical the knowledge of local Indigenous communities as well as greater Indigenous communities is, how it is a vital, how they are, they encompass Um, worldviews that are critical to all of our understandings, both indigenous and non-indigenous understandings of the world. I'm also an immigrant to Canada. I came here as an uninvited guest to the Lekwungen territories in January of 2002 after living in Japan for two years and meeting, uh a Canadian, and falling in love, and then following them to Victoria, where I enrolled in a program at the University of Victoria. My process of learning about colonialism in Canada was unique. I was in a program that specifically focused on anti-racism and decolonizing work. And I moved here with the objective of using this information and using filmmaking as a tool to teach anti-racism or anti-oppression work in communities that's what i should say so um i had i think a pretty um a course that was a paradigm shift for me called the history of Racism and anti-Semitism in Canada since eighteen fifty eight and that course was taught by Dr. Georgia Satara here at the University of Victoria. And at the same time, I took a theories of racialization course in what was then a women's Studies department, but now Gender Studies department. And what doing those courses offered me was one, the theory of how colonization and of how racialization, how those processes operate, how they operated in the past and how they're continuing today. My understanding of racialization and colonialism was evolving, but I wasn't seeing the theory I was learning in class being represented in the Canadian context. Outside of the classroom, they were not, I never heard the term colonization. I never heard the term. I heard the term First Peoples. um, And at the time, uh, names were kind of being turned over. Like sometimes I would hear Aboriginal, sometimes Indigenous, sometimes First Peoples. And I guess I would say outside of the classroom, I didn't hear this in the greater Canadian story. What I mostly heard was Canada is so polite and there's no racism here. And so um, as a person of color, I am African. I'm an American of African descent. And so I was always very suspicious when I kind of heard that narrative of uh Racism not existing here and Canada being so polite because that was not my experience. But I didn't have a knowledge around specifically what that looked like for indigenous communities here. And I also didn't have an understanding of my role as a settler uh, until I took courses that gave me a bit more awareness about that. And this brought up an important question. And I think, well, wow, well, for the average person, how would you access this information?
3: I think the feeling and the intention of VERCS is to really properly acknowledge that it is uh, Indigenous people and First Nations people who should be situated to welcome and provide history to newcomers so they have an awareness about Canada's colonialist history.
1: In Victoria, we have organizations like VERC's, the Victoria Immigrants and Refugees Centre Society, who assist immigrants and refugees to overcome barriers in adjusting to Canadian society. This is one way for newcomers, immigrants and refugees to learn about colonialism in Canada. We spoke with two staff members from VERC's,
4: my name is Haisha Liu. I'm intake coordinator of VIPP. VIPP stands for um, Vulnerable Population of Immigrants. So we're also called Newcomer wrap Around Support Program okay. for Newcomers.
3: My name is Alex Hudson piller and I work with the Pathways to Professions and Trades program for youth, and I coordinate the Organizing Against Racism and Hatred committee in Victoria.
1: VERX offers settlement integration services for people in the process of applying for permanent residency and people in the process of immigration applications.
3: Uh, So VERX is a a settlement organization for newcomers, including immigrants, refugees, and uh, we have also settlement integration services, a new program for people in the process of uh, applying for permanent residency and to have uh, immigration applications in process. And so, um, yeah, VERCS has a, a, you know a number of workshops, immigrant women programs. Uh, Youth employment, uh, a very vibrant uh, volunteer program, um, often provided by people with newcomer backgrounds, uh, and English language classes. Uh, yeah, Verx uh, has provides a number of services, uh, essentially wraparound services to um, provide multi layered support. Not so not just in one area.
1: And it's different from the Intercultural Association, who also offer services to immigrants and refugees.
4: I see it's like a family doctor. We are like specialists. That's a very good. Name. Yeah, so for us, more help the multi barriers immigrants. So we do the case management. We follow up with each case in the case. So that's why we design the program according to their needs. So we do have a parenting class. We have like an emotion supporting class for them as well.
1: Our interviewer Yukari asked Alex about the level of awareness she sees in the newcomers she works with.
3: I think that some newcomers often have had colonial backgrounds Mm -hmm. or are indigenous themselves. And so they have an understanding about the dynamics of colonialism and that it is always accompanied by racism, I think. and um, But they may not have information about the specific context of Canada, and even, and very importantly, British Columbia, which has a unique history of um, dispossession of land. So... I think there's so much work to be done and that needs to happen as a part of the reconciliation process. And I'm not sure that many newcomers know exactly how to relate to that process. But So lots of work to be done through projects and collaboration.
1: The classifications of settlers versus Indigenous people is not simply black and white. As Métis writer Chelsea Val puts it, Settlers are the non-indigenous peoples living in Canada who form the European-descended socio-political majority. So refugees and newly-arrived immigrants do not necessarily fit into this category. Fowles says that settler privilege involves having their worldviews imposed onto the lands and bodies of everyone who lives on this land. So the relationship between immigrants and refugees and indigenous communities does not share the same dynamic with that of settlers and indigenous people. But it's important for Verks to teach newcomers about acknowledging and respecting indigeneity. This is Haisha.
4: So in, I think in the guide, they're be a little bit knowledge about that if they read it. And this guide have a different language. So they have Chinese French, um, Spanish, Arabic, or different kind, and English of course. And after if they stay for three years later, so if they apply for citizen, we have a Discovery Canada guide for them to study um, Canadian history. This is one thing. And we also have a body program, so we we'll introduce a local, it's called a Victoria Native. Friendship Centre. So we have our tours to bring all the newcomers to there and they will present their history about Natives' history there.
1: Incorporating the Victoria Native Friendship Centre is a central part of introducing new immigrants to Canada and building relationships is a really important part of that process.
3: Yeah, seeing that Seeing a collaboration see yeah. is the best way, and to yeah. actually have opportunities to come yeah. together. Um, you know, there there's so many points of intersection or possible possibility. Um, I, I know, for example, uh, the the women uh, from Syria who uh, came here and were welcomed mm-hmm. in recent years were amazing knitters, and there's the huge legacy of and uh, knitters and the expertise to learn from so there's so many interesting um, possibilities to, to highlight and, and like cultural showcases and that can bring people together and I think that heisha's right just um, these opportunities to come together um, sh- share food share plans share education and priorities um, really create the best opportunities for Working together on the more serious issues when needed.
1: Alex also recognizes that it's not just immigrants and refugees who need to do this work.
3: I think many, many Canadians may even have less knowledge about colonialism than many newcomers, actually. And so I think there's work to be done in capturing what, you know, uh, what are people's understanding, what knowledge do they have. Many Canadians do not understand the reconciliation process and it's hard for us to sort of demystify what are the priorities.
1: Which is why turning to resources like the Native Friendship Centre have been so beneficial.
3: And so really looking to the Indigenous leadership and, and resources that are provided, there needs to be more opportunities for that so that programs and services are directed to that kind of education from the proper educators. Verks. Realizes that it's critical uh, to provide an actual true representation of of Canada um, for newcomers um, I think that there's uh, the reconciliation process is supposed to be about truth and so this is this is more critical than ever and um, although mm, I think that when people listen to, Uh, politicians uh, it may appear like a relationship that's gone wrong or something like that when actually I think it goes far beyond that uh, to very serious questions about land rights and um, economic independence and self-government so I'm not sure if the depth of education and understanding is being addressed right yet.
1: Alex's sense of the education provided by the government about Canada's history is that it's not adequate and that it doesn't address ongoing colonialism.
3: Um, as a part of citizenship education, I think there is uh, some information provided about uh, Canada's hi- historical relationship to Indigenous people but I do not think it is uh, in depth or addresses some of the more significant uh, questions. For example um, I'm not sure if it includes um, that Indigenous people were not able to vote until 1960 which is so important or that um, Indigenous people only have access to 0.2% of the land base but represent a population of over five percent and so um, some of those key areas that Indigenous leaders are really pointing to is critical for their survival. I don't think that information is necessarily included or some of the problems for example the reserve system being fixed boundary suggests that a population won't grow.
1: Focusing only on historical elements of colonialism doesn't address the whole picture. This is me speaking with Yukari again. But what it does is it it places all of the knowledge and understanding around colonization in, his, in a historical context and it never discusses what's happening in a contemporary context. And I think that even though the idea is that people are able to learn about the history, I think what's also happening at the same time is embedding or furthering an idea that um, Indigenous peoples no longer exist.
0: Again, like you don't know what you don't know
1: Learning how we can best honor and respect indigeneity is a continuous process, and it begins with a comprehensive understanding of the real history. When Yukari first came to Canada, she didn't know anything about our history of colonialism.
0: I didn't know, and you know, in the term that people use, like I wasn't woke. Like I I was like really didn't know anything. So as I learned more about Indigenous people and their history, I'm like, oh my God, so you know, A lot of people tell Japanese people, well, Canada's a wonderful country, come. And I was also the person telling, because I work with international students, and I would tell them like, well, Canada's great, you should come. And a lot of people come here and they want to eventually settle down. They want to live here. They want to immigrate. And I always told them like, yeah, you should do that. This is a great place. Then I realized like, I don't really have any right to say that because this is not my land um yeah but now i know at least so but yeah i was in the that's a very colonizer mindset i used to have
1: now yukari feels that it's important to share what she knows about canada with people in japan because the stereotype of canada persists
0: you know obviously i'm trying to learn as much as possible and you know meeting the people getting hearing their stories That's, uh, you know, obviously the first thing. But I'm also really, I'm a writer and I blog and I write about this a lot in Japanese. um, Because, again, like these things we don't know about, we don't learn about it in school in Japan. So did you know there's such a thing as a um, residential school? I had no idea. So I uh, always write about things like that or, you know, any the pipeline things, you know, the government's trying to steal their land, all those things, again, because these things are not, um, nobody's reporting it uh, to Japanese-speaking society. So I think it's important to write about, you know, what's going on here. And yeah, that's something I've started doing after I started learning about it.
1: In my own work and personal practice, I try to honor indigeneity by questioning our colonial framework trying to find out kind of what a decolonizing lens might how how an activity or for example the way an organization works or the way a business is set up or the way a collective operates like how what are the ways that we can decolonize those practices because i think if we just go along with what's been happening, what's been happening all has been in support of colonization. So I think that I try to honor local indigenous practices first by having a, a questioning practice and having a, a practice of trying to find, well, what might be a way to decolonize an activity that's currently happening. Secondly, as I mentioned before, uh, understanding the land and the names and the families. So not just uh, place names, but also the, the families that inhabited the places and the activities that took place there and how indigenous names can shed more light on on how this space has been used not just from not just in recent history but you know s- since time memorial and i think about how to engage with decolonial theory in practical and tangible ways i think i would like to know if there are more with regard to indigeneity and indigenous practices i would like to know what are the ways that we can embed indigenous knowledges in all of our institutions and um in the way that businesses work, the way that our schools educate youth, the way that our government works, like how can we how can we make indigenous knowledges? integral to the way things operate. I think that's the thing that I would like to know. And also more information about, you know, what the ways are. But I think part of that has to happen through uh, changing what our institutions, changing the way that they educate and changing the ways that they operate. And my work puts me in a position to continue learning about indigeneity and ways to engage with decolonization. But it also presents a problem. I work with an organization called the Students of Color Collective and we are often turning over ideas of uh, what it means to have a decolonizing practice and what it means to center indigeneity. And also in my art practice. Those are concerns that I have, uh, particularly being someone that can see the effects of that has a lived experience and, and experiences the effects of colonization in my own body and in my own histories and in my own context. But then also in wanting to destabilize that but then also recognizing more and more how I'm a part of a continuation of colonization. And so there's this tension between wanting to dismantle something and yet being a part of what keeps it going.
5: I mean, I I know I reproduce
1: colonialism all the time and I hate it. After the break, we talk with someone else who understands that tension too.
3: For more than 20 years, Adriana has set the standard in Victoria for delicious Mexican food. They are the only large-scale manufacturer of corn tortillas and chips on Vancouver Island. Adriana's The Whole Enchilada has daily specials. Enchilada Divorciada, Tuni Tacos, Bandito Burger, Taquito Feliz, and more. Did we pick up your curiosity for more Mexican meals? Pick up and take out. For more information, check Adriana's com or come to 2140B Keating Crossroad in the Keating Plaza.
5: Hi, my name is Laura Lee Westesikut. I am Cree from Peguis First Nation in Manitoba and I have roots in uh, the Red River and uh, up north in northern Manitoba, York Factory and... I am an uninvited visitor here to the uh, Lekwangan-speaking people's territory of the Squimalt and Songhees Nation.
1: Lori Lee formerly worked at CIRCLE, the Center for Indigenous Research and Community-Led Engagement, as the admin coordinator. CIRCLE supports Indigenous and non-Indigenous researchers working in Indigenous communities. She now works at Legacy Art Gallery. And to work there handling Indigenous artifacts and cultural objects from nations that are not her own has made her think more deeply about her own heritage and the experiences of others.
5: It's an unlearning of, you know, what we've been bathed in and, and seeped in our entire lives. You know, and it's it's hard to unlearn um. The way the Western way that we've been taught how to do things, you know, and um, I don't want to to reproduce colonialism, um, or I don't know all of the protocols here. Um, I'm learning as I go along, and and with that being said, I'm also still learning about protocols back home, you know. I'm, I've am i learned some things through the um, research that uh, we've done around the paintings and the survivors and the intergenerational residential school survivors we've worked with. And I'm still learning, you know, I'm still learning about um, how to act when you're in community and in circles where we're sharing and, and working with survivors has been one of the most humbling experiences of my life. So um, to me, um, that's been one of, the, one of the greatest learning experiences of my life.
1: Lori Lee has been in Victoria for nine years.
5: I moved from Winnipeg, Manitoba, to Victoria uh, almost out of necessity for my own life and my daughter's life, and um, I came here to um, start a new life. So, I had a friend living in Seait, and uh, she, um, you know, offered me a place to stay to get started, and. Um, I came here with my daughter and a couple of suitcases and a trunk and uh, uh, found our own place and uh, began going to school at Camosun College, upgrading my grade 10 and 11 English and um, and math.
1: She says going back to school was one of the best things she could have done for herself.
5: I am really uh, very grateful to this, this land and to the people who have taken care of this land. Um because it offered me um, a chance um, at healing myself. Um, And I think one of the parallels um, many Indigenous people feel across Canada, um, we have this shared history of colonialism and how it's affected our lives. And so um, me being an Indigenous person... Uh, from another territory um and being here being able to go to school and and learning about our history my history um through my education of colonialism and um the systems that have oppressed us um like the indian act and the canadian government um It was a really healing and cathartic experience going through school and learning about that. Um, But it also empowered me because, you know, then it was like I knew what they were doing to us as Indigenous
1: people. And going back to school is what led Lori Lee to her current role at the Legacy Art Gallery. So being in school
5: um, really opened up my eyes and helped me understand what it was that was happening to our people for so many years um, through the government government policy as well as through um, the residential schools. And um, I, in 2015, I became aware of a painting that my dad created in residential school that the University of Victoria had um, in the Anthropology Department. And so I um, began working with Dr. Andrea Walsh about uh, on this project about children's artwork created in residential schools. And that uh, project led me to work at the Legacy Art Gallery, um, uh, starting off as a work-study student and... Um, a community internship program offered through the La program here at the University of Victoria. And also a part of that work was, you know, doing work on the repatriation of these paintings back to uh, our families and our communities.
1: Through the work that she does there, Lori Lee feels that she's doing meaningful work that shows respect for local Indigenous communities.
5: You have to be prepared to, you know, to take those those words and, and to take that knowledge they've given you and shared with you and put it back into the exhibit somehow. Um, I just feel like as a person working in a museum or a gallery space you know I have a privilege to be around these beautiful cultural objects that aren't necessarily my own um, but I feel like it's my responsibility to take um, to take this space and share it with indigenous uh, people from this territory um, and to make sure that it's relevant to them somehow in reciprocity, right? Like I am asking for their help and um, I wanna help them in turn by um, exhibiting their cultural objects in a way that they see is culturally appropriate.
1: She knows how important it is to consult with local indigenous communities about how they want their own artifacts to be showcased and treated.
5: I just ask myself, you know, what would you want? Like what would my family want? And we would want to be um, consulted and asked to, you know, give advice and, and help um present these um exhibits and, and uh in a way that is culturally appropriate um to who we are as indigenous people. And so when i meet with um indigenous women and al- knowledge keepers from this territory you know i just offer them the same respect and you know you're you're going to
1: you're going to learn <laughs> you know and she also recognizes that it's a continuous learning process um i'm still learning
5: and uh i don't do everything right um I, I got in trouble a couple of weeks ago, uh, from an elder. So, I mean, we all have to, you know, we're all coming from this place. We're human. We're coming from this place where we've all experienced a lot of trauma and historical trauma and through colonization. And, um, yeah, we don't know everything, you know, and I've, uh, you, you live and you learn, and um, that's kind of how um, I've been um, living here and settling in here, working, and um, just trying to be respectful. And, you know, when you you make a mistake, you know, you, you learn from it, hopefully, and, and you try not to do it again, you know? So that's one of the... Uh, the big lessons I've learned is that I'm still learning, you know, come from this place where we have, we don't even know our own culture sometimes, you know, and then yet we're, we're, we're trying to navigate in these spaces that aren't, you know, indigenous to us. And so, um, I think when I ask for help from people in the community, um, I also want to know, you know, how I can help them and what I could do to help them um, in in the things that they want to do in their own communities and support that, not try and take things over and dictate, you know, well, this is how we do it here. You know, like, it's, no, you know, just be respectful. It's, it's good manners basically. And, um, you will screw up sometimes, but just be gentle and, uh,
1: and, uh, keep learning. Healing fractured relationships between Indigenous communities is important. And Lori Lee understands how trauma shapes the ability to connect.
5: You know, it's, it's not a great feeling, yes, but it is what it is. You know, um, just you know, have to um, say you're sorry and hopefully just learn from your mistakes. Right. You know, we're coming from a place of uh, a lot of trauma, a lot of PTSD. Um, the schools really um, damaged our relationships with one another. And that's, that was their aim was to damage the relationships that we had with each other as family members and community members. Um, they also wanted to destroy our relationship to our land. And so they've, um, they've never succeeded though. We're still here. We still love one another and, um, we still remain who we are, whether that's Cree or Dene or Nuchanoth um, or you know um, Coast Salish, You know, so it's it's important that we try to work on repairing our own relationships with our with each other first. You know, before we can um, start repairing our relationships. You know, with like how the government wants us to, you know, we're going to reconcile. Okay, well, what did we do? <laughs> so it's kind of, uh, yeah, I'm more concerned about focusing on how we can be treat each other better, you know, as Indigenous people, people of color, you know, how can we repair our own relationships in our own ways, on our own terms? you know, and then move forward. Because, yeah, you know, once we, once we try and start to do that, I think that we'll be able to um, start moving forward in, in uh, many different directions.
1: Building and healing relationships is a crucial part of reconciliation for Tanya at the Victoria Native Friendship Centre as well. And creating a relationship between other local organizations helps people in learning and in participating actively in challenging a colonial framework.
2: It has been in the last year that they have been reaching out actively to initially just start a relationship, which is um interesting because it's really reflective of the way we function in our indigenous community as well before we know if we want to work together we have to get to know each other and so they um offered to come and host a meal with us and we shared um shared a meal and we were able to start that conversation about what is it we can offer between each other mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's so interesting because there are a lot of different groups, specialty groups, churches, faith-based agencies that are reaching out to the Friendship Centre right now. And so all those conversations are very unique and people are coming with different understandings of what reconciliation is. And so we really have to take the time in each individual situation to understand where they are on their learning journey and then how we can help them move along that spectrum.
1: Also, developing these open spaces for relationships and learning means that conversations can be specific to Victoria.
2: We are in the space of um, opening dialogue in community to understand what the needs are for Victoria. Mm -hmm. Our Reconciliation Initiative is focused on the Victoria area and so unique to this city at this time with these people what are the right tools and resources out there? There are some great ones being um, developed across Canada and we have been sharing those and, and circulating that but we haven't got to the point yet of creating our own resources and tools. What we've been doing at the Friendship Centre is um, opening the doors and opening the invitation as wide as possible for people to come here and learn about what we do and who we are through experience. So we give a lot of tours um, for schools and specialty groups, the Rotary Club, um, those types of people that call us say, We as a group are interested in the reconciliation conversation. And then mostly we don't know what that means or what those steps are, but we really want to acknowledge that space. So we invite them to come to the Friendship Center, we give them a tour, we let them understand what's available here. A lot of times that leads to volunteering from that group.
1: Tanya likes to keep it relatively informal and safe for people to ask questions.
2: We also do an activity with them, whether we talk about medicines or we, you know, do art craft-based projects. But if we let them have a personal experience while they're here at the center, we find them more apt to re- keep reconnecting, to, to come and volunteer, to be part of our community events, to come to our community lunches on Fridays. And so that's the tool we're using, the open door and the space for conversation and if the tour goes well we usually do question and answer at the end and depending on who's leading us it you know i often say this is a safe space and i try and to create a dialogue where they may maybe can ask questions they've had in their minds for a very long time but not necessarily had a space to ask that question in a safe way where they 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 don't want to hurt people's feelings but they're not sure where the line is for asking that question. And so we try to create space for those questions.
1: And opening this space for organizations can create opportunity for someone to develop a personal understanding and connection to decolonization and reconciliation.
2: Yeah, in Indigenous community, you know, our social structure and our norm is experiential learning. Um, And experiential learning is based in relationships your relationship as the learner or as the mentor and teacher. And for us, every time we can give someone information and we can help educate them, and then they'll be smarter and more informed about that topic. But until they've had a personal experience, it's not always easy to be passionate. And so what we encourage is personal experience. Come to the center um, We have community lunch every Friday at noon. Come in our doors. Come sit with our community members and eat. Volunteer if you have a skill set, you know, where you're a teacher. um, We have a library you can be in. There's lots of spaces where you can come and be supportive without having to, you know, have a specific skill set. Come and be in our space. Meet Indigenous people where they are and... Try to understand why they're comfortable in that space and how you can start mimicking that safety in other areas in the city so that Indigenous people then can still feel comfortable going out into new spaces and community as well.
1: So while it's important for different local agencies to engage in this work at the community level, Tanya thinks that the real work is done on the individual level.
2: Yeah, we really take the perspective that reconciliation is about relationships at a fundamental level. While we engage agencies and organizations, we really need the individual that is in that agency or organization to have a personal commitment to reconciliation. That's when it's really going to start impacting their lives, their network, their work situation. And so just by us being open to relationships with new partners, with new agencies, it's provided that entry point for some agencies that otherwise might not know how to step into reconciliation conversation.
1: As Alex and Haisha mentioned, many newcomers to Canada come from colonized backgrounds themselves. So they already have a personal connection to the idea of reconciliation and how they factor in. And this background means that they don't hold the same settler privilege that many Canadians do.
2: A lot of uh, immigrants or refugees especially are coming from a cultural group within their own country that was oppressed or under colonization. So when they come here and learn about the Indigenous people here, they're actually feeling very connected to that story. And they can reflect that in their own experience, as well as cultural values, um, you know, while Indigenous cultures and especially the First Nations in Canada are all unique, distinct cultural groups, there is that fundamental notion of family at the center, and we see that reflected in the immigrant and refugee community. And so, again, it's another thing where they learn about the Indigenous community and see that family-centered approach, and they can reflect that to their own cultural values.
1: This work doesn't happen on a linear trajectory, and it doesn't happen with a checklist mentality through superficial actions.
2: You know, colonization as a long Longstanding existence in Canada and reconciliation is so new. Mm-hmm. So we're learning lots of ways that these two conversations are coming together um, in productive and then sometimes not productive ways. So the checklist mentality, it might be a good starting point. Like I'm going to read something that is about the history. I'm going to go to a community event and meet someone. I'm going to um, correct people's language when they're using things that I don't feel, uh, you know. Those types of checklists are not harmful. But thinking you can achieve everything through just a one, two, three-step process is the danger. Um, There's a long, it took 150 years in BC to get to this point, and we don't know how long it'll take to undo all of that. And and I think Indigenous community is realistic about that, much more so sometimes than mainstream Canadians who really just like are so passionate that they want to, you know, start doing the work and, and running down that road. But we do have to be mindful that everybody needs to come along the conversation. And so we can't let some people get too far ahead if we're leaving others behind.
1: Inclusion and connection are central to reconciliation for Tanya. And she says a big part of developing your personal relationship with these ideas is to keep questioning the mainstream narrative. Who is at the center of conversations of indigeneity and who is guiding the knowledge sharing?
2: Mm -hmm. I think one of the main things around decolonization is question what you hear. Um, Media, of course, is very much um, managed by the mainstream and and while maybe not purposefully misleading, can confuse situations to a point where they're not doing justice to the conversation, you know, such as the blockade in the North and the protesters. Well, they're not really protesters. They're land protectors. They That is their territory. And some of the conversations happening in the media are fundamentally uh, inaccurate. And so I just encourage people, if you're, coming into the space of decolonization to just start questioning what you hear um, and checking and verifying where is the source of that information and can I unpack what they're saying further so that I can comprehend at a fundamental level what this piece of information is about because even if it's not malicious in intent a lot of inaccurate information circulates about Indigenous community, especially in mainstream media, especially about things that have to do with resources and natural resources. I just feel like we're at a really wonderful opportunity as a country. Um, I think that the more that non-Indigenous people engage in Indigenous community, they'll see what an open space it is. Um, and how loving and caring that space can be. And so I just, you know, really encourage people to take that first step themselves, whether it's a learning step or, you know, an experiential step where you go into community. Just, you know, be brave
1: and take that step. This episode of Full Circle was produced by me, Kemi Craig, with help from Yukari Peerless, Melanie Loom, and Elizabeth Davolis. Our executive producer is Mary Decker. Full Circle would not be possible without the generous support of the Community Radio Fund of Canada. If you like what you heard, tune in next week and subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Adriana has set the standard in Victoria for delicious Mexican food. They're the only large-scale manufacturer of corn tortillas and chips on Vancouver Island. Adriana's The Whole Enchilada has daily specials. Enchilada Divorciada, Tuni Tacos, Benito Burger, Taquito Feliz, and more. Did we pick up your curiosity for more Mexican meals? Pick up and take out. For more information, check out Adriana's The Whole Enchilada.com or come to 2140B Keating Cross Road in the Keating Plaza.
4: Hey,
2: give me your ear. Let's, uh, let's pull back the curtain for a minute and
4: check out behind the scenes of Phoebe's podcasts.
1: My name is Kemi Craig and I am the producer. Full Circle is a podcast series that's actually been going for years and I was invited to produce eight episodes last year. I grew up listening to radio, so it, it inspired me to create a space on the air that was for BIPOC communities and by BIPOC communities. And by BIPOC, I mean Black, Indigenous, and people of color. I feel like radio is such an important um, avenue for literally being heard, for having your voices heard. and. I, in all of the work that I do, am dedicated to making sure that people of color and indigenous people and black people have a space where they can not only be heard, but also we're able to listen to each other. I learned a lot making the series. I learned a lot about myself as well as the people that I was fortunate enough to work with or interview. Um... And I think one of the biggest things that I learned was to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. You know, if you're talking about topics that topics that are challenging, that you don't usually hear about in kind of everyday media avenues or even everyday conversations with people that you speak with at work or in your homes... Um, Talking about sensitive issues, like I recognized that I needed to allow space for myself to make mistakes and space uh, to really be compassionate and meet others where they were at so that we could actually have a conversation that hopefully inspired others to think critically about the world that they live in and then take part in shaping it.
0: If you like this episode, you'll love the all-access episode about a paradigm shift in the local music scene to decenter whiteness and promote indigenous artists, called The New Paradigm Shift.